Hello, this is Rob Nesbitt with the Nezzy on Brass podcast. In this episode, Nigel Seaman talks to Adrian Evans, who's the creator of a truly remarkable niche business in the world of brass bands. He is the founder and owner of Events, who you will have seen at many brass band contests behind the scenes. They provide a first-class stage management service and a lot more, as you'll find out in the interview. Before I hand you over to Nigel Seaman, a quick reminder. If you sign up to the Nezion Brass newsletter, not only will you be kept updated with the latest blogs, podcasts and cartoons, but you will also receive automatic entry into the competitions that will run from time to time. See the newsletter sign-up on the homepage of the nezionbrass.com website in the right-hand sidebar. You can also visit us at the Nezion Brass Facebook page. If you like the page, you will receive regular brass band cartoons. So, on with the interview, and here's Nigel. Well, our guest on Nezion Brass for this podcast is Adrian Evans. Now, he's a, a gentleman whom I'm sure probably every brass player in the country has heard of because he runs a company called Events. We'll hear more about that particular company uh, as we have a chat today. But first of all, welcome to the podcast, Adrian. Thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to doing this. Now, your your life is all about drumming and all percussion, is it really? That, it is. That, that's where you started. When did you actually start playing the drums? I started when I was seven years of age. Um, and my first influence was probably Top of the Pops, actually. <laughs> where, um, yeah. Uh, I was watching drummers on, on there, probably on a Thursday evening, and I just took an interest in it. So uh, a friend of the family suggested I go along to uh, a brass band, which was very close to my house, so I'm from Cumbran, and Cumbran Brass Band mm-hmm. was where I started to play. Yeah. Were you taught at the initial, or was it just, just pick up the sticks and have a go? Uh, I first went and just, I, I surprised the bandmaster actually, because everyone was sort of sitting around and there was a few new intakes there, and he sort of said, and you want to play a cornet, somebody wanted to play a trombone. And I said I wanted to play the drums, and I think um, it was a gentleman called Stan Bartram who sadly passed away now. Um, uh, he had a bit of a shock that I wanted to play drums because I think I was the first one that ever walked into the band room to actually say I wanted to do that. Mm. And I was taught by a lady from the senior band, Veronica Cowan, who was XRAF, and she started me off mm. uh, and pointed me in the right direction from a word go. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon a sense of rhythm is inbuilt or? Can you learn a sense? And this is from having conducted brass bands where I'm pretty sure some players don't have a sense of rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question. I, I, yeah, you need to have a basic a basic coordination, basic sense of rhythm, otherwise I think you are really going to struggle. But once you've got that, it can then be taught, I think, and brought, you know, bring you on. Mm, okay. So it's not just come round you played, I mean, that's where you started. What about the bands you played with in your career? Right, I started with Cumbrian when I was seven and um, I stayed with those until I was probably 13 years of age when uh, one of the brass teachers, Nigel Weeks, who's still within the movement, uh, I think in uh, New Zealand now, I think. New Zealand, New Zealand, New Zealand yeah. Um, I came across Nigel going to a music centre sort of on a Saturday morning and he suggested uh, I come along to Cross Keys. So my formative years were really Cumbrian, but then the years I really learned to play and sort of really enjoyed my, my time was when I was growing up within Cross Keys, became a 
my, my father originally was the chairman of Cumbrian Youth Band and then he went on to become vice chairman of, of Cross Keys because he had to take me there every mm. week. <laughs> and we were a very, very prolific contesting band. Uh, we were out nearly every weekend somewhere. Um, and eventually Nigel went north to Tradiga, which is a little bit further north. <laughs> um, I stayed with Cross Keys for about six to eight months, but there was a bit of an exodus there. So I went up to Tradiga and spent a good few years contesting with them. And then due to work commitments, I sort of dropped out. But Well, you say, yeah, work commitments, of course, because Tradiga, presumably, as now, then, they were really, really busy, didn't they? Very so, busy, yeah. So very busy band. And it was getting more and more difficult. I was working on my family business. Um, and it was just just difficult. I, I, I left. I did a little bit of time with Newbridge, did a little bit of time with those. Mm. Um, not so much commitment there. Um, and then when I eventually, uh, work commitments didn't become so bad, I, I actually went back to Tradiga again for, for a stint. Mm. Okay. So um, you still presumably do play a little bit of percussion at all? You're a very busy person? I do play. It's still a passion of mine to sort of be involved and, mm. and, and do that. But I've got a 13-year-old son now who plays, and mm. I've joined uh, Pontypool. Mm. Uh, with with Alex, my son, and uh, he keeps me busy uh, with that. It's only one night a week, so there's very little commitment. We're a third section band, but I still have a lot of fun with it, and all the pieces are quite easy to play for me because I've seen them all before. Generally. <laughs> and your son plays percussion? He plays percussion as well. Oh, right. Two-man yeah. team now. A chip off the old wood block. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought of that one. Oh, uh, <laughs> so you mentioned earlier on that uh, you know a, a rhythm is inherent. Usually, but then people do need do need to be taught as well. So where did you learn to play properly? Should I use that word? Um, where did I learn to play properly? Did you study percussion? Yeah, when I stu- well, I was a late starter studying percussion. I I had very good tuition to start with, um, and then uh, carried on a little aimlessly for a little bit until Gwent Music Support Service uh, sent me down to Welsh College to do sort of junior department then mm-hmm. which was uh, and I was taught uh, on a Saturday morning by Paul Vallis originally who was the then timpanist of Welsh National Opera oh, I mm-hmm. um, when I left uh, full-time education at, at 18 uh, I, I didn't sort of have any formal training then but I stayed uh, I worked for six years before I decided I needed to go uh, to music college um, I could tell you quite an odd story about that as well, mm. really. Um, I had a girlfriend, as, uh, as we do, uh, who was a singer in Welsh College. She was in the, in the first year of Welsh College. And I was sat in the, um, in the common room waiting for her one day. And a good friend of mine, who still remains a friend to this day, Chris Baker, who runs oh, yeah. um, Care Gifts, was helping out as the orchestral assistant. And I sat down having a chat to him and said, Chris, you know, I really envy you guys. I really wish I'd gone to college. And he said, do you? Yeah. I said, so hang on a minute. I'll, I'll be back now. I'll have a, have a chat. I'll, I'll, I'll be back in five minutes. He came back and then head of the performance department, Simon Johnson, um, he came back with him and he said, this, this gentleman would like to have a word with you about uh, joining the college. <laughs> so before I knew it, he said, oh, very interesting. Mature student. What have you done? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, took some details off me and 
I had a phone call followed by a letter a week later that say an audition had been arranged for me um, about a week later. So I had no audition pieces prepared at all because I hadn't done any auditioning. Uh, I spent a week preparing a xylophone and snare drum piece, which they told me to do. And on the day, um, I went into the college and I knew one of the first years, Andy Cookson, who's still in the profession now, he plays with Welsh National Opera quite a lot. Uh, I said, Andy, can I, can I get on some timps? So I did my timp piece for about an hour and a half before <laughs> the audition. <laughs> had an audition and a week later, I had the acceptance letter to say I was in. Uh, that was in the sort of June and I started in September. Wow. So you've got a lot to thank Chris Baker for then. <laughs> I have, yeah. Really, because I, you, I, you wouldn't, may not have, have taken that route I, at I all. I've never done it. No. I've never done no. it. So the <clears throat> college days are over now. Um, did you go into a full-time job at all? Um, <clears throat> no. I must say, when I went to college, of course, the one person I didn't mention in that was Chris Stock, my, uh, my teacher for four years, who was quite an inspiration uh, in my playing and one of... Uh, one of this country's foremost teachers of percussion, I think. He, he's, a, he's a lovely guy. I mean, you obviously know Chris from your time working yeah. at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only is he a, a very good guy, he's an extremely brilliant teacher, a very, very inspiring guy. So with uh, with his guidance and stuff, it was, it was a great time in college. I can really recommend that. Um, after I'd left college, I freelanced for a bit, different orchestras, um, Bands, function bands, uh, panto band. I did pan- panto the new theatre for ten years. Do they still use? Well, are they still use percussion. They, they don't. They? They, they've got. A, when we were, we were there, we were lucky enough. We had a percussionist and a drummer. We had about a band of about twelve, but now mm-hmm. it's down to a band of about five. Yeah, I think the last show I went to see was Wicked, coming the Wales Millennium Centre, and uh, I think the band there was. Um, one brass player, or a trumpet, mm-hmm. and uh, French horn, uh, sax, clarinet, and four keyboards. Yeah. Plus a big, a big percussion set. I mean, loads of whistles and things like that. But I thought in the old days that would have been a proper full size band. It would have been. These four keyboards seem to be doing everything. Didn't they? I was lucky enough, I suppose, to sort of go into that around 89, 90 when they were still using big bands. Yeah. Right. But as soon as I sort of went into it, nothing to do with me obviously, but they started cutting the bands and you know, they, they were just getting smaller every year. Yeah. Not that it not that it affected the, the uh, box office tape, but when I found out that, not not Riverdance, but the one that's like Riverdance, the next one mm-hmm. on, was coming to Cardiff, and I checked with the technical people um, what the dressing room's allocation were. You know, there was lighting, there was so many male dancers, so many female dancers, the soloists. I said, are there rooms for musicians? No. As a sound technician, I thought, I'm not going to sit and listen to a CD in, in St. David's Hall. I can do that in the house. You know? yeah. and I just thought it was such a shame that they've lost that little band in the corner, which I think was really one of the nice things about that, to see these yeah. live musicians was, doing all their stuff. That it was certainly, I, I learned a lot from that because mm. it was a very good time. Yeah. Well, alongside working with the panto, obviously, I, I was gainfully employed doing other things, uh, shows, and I also realised that being a freelance player in Cardiff was never going to uh, keep me in a, a full-time income. Mm. So I was obviously involved with brass bands at the time. And I knew Dowie Jones, who was the head of brass for Cardiff very, very well. And he used to ask me to come and help out with South Glam Youth Brass Band. 
uh, I was going on a Saturday morning doing work for them and he suggested that I maybe try working in schools and bringing on some percussionists because they had a lot of kit drummers but they didn't have any percussionists so from that I suppose I became uh, certainly in, in this area South East Wales the first uh, percussion peripatetic that we had and mm. I stayed with Cardiff then from uh, 94 to about 2000 in which time I'd made some other contacts and I was teaching a little bit at Cross Keys College, uh, College Gwent. I'd studied my A-levels there and I kept in touch with everyone there and they'd asked me to come in to teach a bit of percussion. By 2000 they'd uh, asked me to come in and do more hours so reluctantly I relinquished most of my teaching with Cardiff to go to Cross Keys full time. Hmm. Um, where I sort of took over being the head of the first year BTEC Performing Arts course. So away from the classical side and the, um, the brass bands, and I was doing a lot more rock and pop. Mm. I went there uh, part-time, actually, when I started Cardiff in 94, mm -hmm. and by 98 I was full-time, which is when I relinquished my position in Cardiff, and I stayed with them until 2002. When another change of career beckoned, and um, uh, something I'd been very close to uh, all my life, I was a founder member of the National Youth Brass Band of Wales, and I had very good links with Keith Griffin and T. Keith, and uh, a job came up there as a youth music manager, and uh, I started that in 2000 and stayed with them for two years within the, the time they transferred from their old offices to the new offices at the Wales Millennium Centre. Quite exciting times. There was lots yeah. of lots of things going on. Uh, we were responsible for orchestra, uh, band, wind band, jazz, and choir. So, mm. another branching out again. Yeah, yeah and then eventually, I went off to work by myself. Yeah. Before we leave the sort of topic of percussion, it it is important, isn't it, that people get taught properly to play percussion rather than just banging oh, yes. a drum. Yeah. You know, some people say it must be really easy. And I said to someone, you try picking up a triangle beater and hitting a triangle 16 times, the same volume. And you, know, you then find out actually how difficult playing percussion is. Because you just think, well, you bang a drum. But I mean, it's the, the amount of weight you put behind it. Because I tried it and one minute it sounded really loud and the next second I missed the blooming thing, you know. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really hard to do. And people think, oh, that's just dead easy playing percussion. And certainly as somebody who conducts, um, I do know that the stick percussion users are often much more destructive than the stick that the, uh, the conductor uses because you make more noise. And yeah. I mean, there can be nothing more frustrating than having a re reasonably good band with a rubbish percussion section, which, which wrecks everything because they, you know, yeah. they have the facility uh, to completely obliterate what's going on or destroy what's going on. Yeah. So it is important, isn't it? Now, it is, yeah. Are, are peripatetic teachers still around in other teachers' They are. Schools? Uh, they're doing a, a very good job in the locality. I mean, there's some great ones in Cardiff and some great ones in Gwent. And I'm, you know, I'm very pleased my son is uh, being taught by uh, one of the guys from Gwent. I, I couldn't teach him myself because he doesn't listen to me. But, <laughs> it's like driving. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it is, you know, he, he's doing very well under their tutelage. Mm. I'm really pleased with that. But going back to that sort of playing triangle, it's really important, like you said, because I, I spent lessons in college where I spent whole lessons playing the triangle or whole lessons playing the tambourine or whole lessons playing the castanets. 
and doing different repertoire, learning how to play them correctly, mm. you can do a lot of damage at the back. You can, yes. In the kitchen sink department. Yeah. <laughs> or the shed builders, <laughs> yeah. as we call them, yes. Crash them all up. Talking now about events, which is very clever, you know, it's spelled E-V-E-N-T-Z, uh-huh. which is like Evans with a Z on, isn't it? So it it's is. clever. Who thought of that? Um, I'd love to take all the credit for that, but I can't, actually. <laughs> um, it was another long-standing uh, friend and colleague of mine, Mark Cheek, um, who teaches uh, for Cardiff, and we were just doodling and messing about one day, he was doing some work for us, and he said, I've just thought of a name, and he came up with that, Ev Ents. He said, it's Evans Events. I went, oh, we have that. And literally, it was, there was no uh, marketing ploy, we didn't employ anybody to come up with it, we were just sat, um, Waiting for a concert to finish somewhere, and uh, and that's so how it happened. So what? And um, right at the very beginning, what did events do? We know what you do today, obviously, which is a, a, a huge area of expertise. But what happened? You, you lent somebody a triangle once, or pretty much, <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, when I went to college, I started buying my own equipment, and uh, through that, other people said, "Can I borrow this? Can mm. I borrow that? Can I borrow this?" So I lent them a lot of my equipment to start with. And then different people wanted more equipment, so we started hiring it out. Um, it was first run from my house and then my garage, and we just ran as that, as a little extra. It wasn't called events, it was just me. Mm. Eventually it became bigger, we started running uh, competitions, and again in the brass band world, one of the stalwarts of the brass band world in the... Uh, 80s, Mr. Ivy and Rogers from mm. Ammonford said to me one day, right, I want you to bring all the stuff and come and run the contest in Ammonford. And come and put all the equipment on stage and look after it for us. Mm. So once again, I'd like to take credit for being the true visionary behind my company when actually Ivy and Rogers uh, yeah. was. And without his start, again, this is something that we probably would never have done. No, that, that's interesting to know that uh, you know people even have actually hmm. you know to start in that way. So you said you said in the late nineties as a company. Ninety seven, hmm. we we first started doing that. I also um, have the other stream, the stage management side to us, uh, which started then, and that started by a chance in college. Uh, I work very closely with a company called Music for Youth, which is uh, the world's largest youth music festival. Hmm. Uh, in about 1992, I was in college and they had a school's prom Wales in St David's Hall. And somebody came up to us, percussionist, and said, you're good at moving things. Music for Youth wants some people to work for them in St David's Hall. Mm-hmm. You go, you go, you go, and you go. Four, four people went. And that started my involvement with Music for Youth while I continue to this day. Um, my company and myself now produce and run every show that Music for Youth does in the UK. Or we, we run the National Festival of Music for Youth for them in Birmingham. We also, I produce the school's prom in Yalba Hall and mm. uh, two of my full-time staff stage manage both stages in the Albert Hall because we put a centre stage in as well. We do regional festivals up and down the country for them and we do primary proms all over the country for them as well. And that was just one thing, again, happened in college. Just by lending a triangle. 
Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we see, <clears throat> I've recently come back from the European Championships at Perth, yeah. uh, but it seems all brass band contests all around the country, pretty much every one of them, there's going to be some of your staff in it. So it can't be just those same four people anymore. No, no, we've <clears throat> got, um, I have a, a staff, uh, including myself, of five, plus uh, my wife is involved in the business as well. She looks after the financial side. We always need somebody good to look after that because I'm not great at that, I'd mm. be the first to admit. And then we have um, 15 to 20 part-timers that we can call upon. Not all of them live locally to us. Some We do pick up some <coughs> along the way from some of them in London, um, some of them in the Midlands. That's because, I mean, when we have our area contests, of course, they clash sometimes, don't they? You know, two they different do. areas will clash, so you'll need... Not only will you need staff there, but presumably if you're providing the percussion equipment as well, yeah. your stores are no longer in the garage, are they? No. No, they're all in our warehouse now. We've got a 5,000 square foot uh, warehouse in Newport, which uh, we're rapidly growing out of. And um, <coughs> we, we'll, we're looking for some more storage. But these guys, you know, we will run... Uh, the most we've done on a brass band area is three different areas, so that means five stages. Uh, for us because it, um, I think it was London, Midlands and Wales. Now there's two stages in London, two stages in the Midlands and one stage in Wales. Mm. So we have five, you know, we, we've got more than that, but five complete sets of kit. Five complete sets of kit. Um, do you have any sort of uh, weird instruments? I remember once you had you in the BBC, was it an enormous bell? A great huge bell was provided from somewhere. Yeah. And also, uh, is that in the Verdi Requiem, that drum that's about six foot round? Uh, we've got some odd things, I suppose. There's the usual stuff, uh, like the air raid siren, which is uh, you know the, the, <laughs> the proper full cranked handle air raid siren, which sits there uh, quite a lot. We make a few bits and pieces now, like the Marla box, the big box with a big hammer. We had to source the the massive mallet for that from America. That's very impressive. I've seen that in news. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's very <laughs> loud. Um, we made some lion's roars for, for the BBC as well. We um, If Chris sort of wants something now at the BBC, we'll, we'll tend to try and make something. Now, what's a lion's roar? It's basically a tom-tom with a piece of rope through the centre of the head and you, you pull that piece of rope using... A, a, a duster, a slightly damp duster, and it sounds a bit like a lion's roar. It's quite simple, but <laughs> very effective. We've got coconuts as well for the horses. Coconuts, but the piece de resistance at the moment, I suppose for us, is um, about six months ago we bought tubular bells that belonged to Mike Oldfield oh. that we used on tubular bells too, not the actual original tubular bells because he hired those. But he had a massive set of tubular bells made, which are over 12 foot high. I saw them. You couldn't get them through the door, could oh, you? you couldn't get through them. <laughs> um, and those, in fact, some of those are on hire at the moment to Welsh National Opera. Not the full set, but uh, I think four are on hire to Welsh National Opera at the moment. So we split them up and hire them individually. But I really want somebody, I'll give them a very, very good deal indeed, if they'll hire the whole set and use them for something, because... I don't think we're ever going to, unless Mike Oldfield's around, if he's listening to this and wants to do Tubular Bells 2 again, mm. I don't think we're going to see them out on a gig anywhere, because they are a bit big. Uh, 1812 springs to mind, of course, isn't it? It'll have to be 1812 in a very tall room. 
So I've seen you, as we mentioned Perth and National Basketball Finals, um, you mentioned the music for youth that you're involved in, anything other, any other prestigious um, events or festivals that events goes to? Yeah, we've, um, said we've covered the music for youth thing, Royal Albert Hall, we do a lot of other sort of uh, youth music things a lot we, we, we're sort of known for um, in the Royal Albert Hall, we're probably up there 10 to 12 times a year. Other festivals, of course, we um, we we do Glastonbury, we do Brecon Jazz. We're involved in the the Hay Festival. We're the uh, main percussion supplier for the National Estateford of Wales as well. Um, we do a lot of other smaller festivals. Um, sort of, uh, I'm just trying to think of something. So sort of Brist Festival in Bristol, Oswestry, um, Cheltenham. We just you know smaller festivals that. In the locality, we do quite a lot of that as well. It's fair to say then you've probably cornered the market, haven't you? For sounds of it, we're doing okay. I mean, we're always looking for other outlets and to, to get bigger if we can. We've well, also got something else that we do. Um, it, we we work very closely with BBC National Orchestra Wales, and we send a member of our staff out on every concert that they do, um, as you probably would know, because mm. you would have seen one of our staff yeah. at somewhere. Uh, or other when playing with the orchestra. The other thing is we also help to run Hodnot Hall, which is the, the home for the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. Mm-hmm. When the orchestra are not there and they rent out the, the hall to third parties, we are the uh, production team that go in there and run that as well. Mm. Anything abroad yet? Have we conquered Europe? No, Evans in Europe really hasn't quite happened yet, but we have been out to sort of support different bands and uh, orchestras on tour. Um, we've done sort of a tour to Vienna and we've done uh, sort of a few things in France. We've been a, a little job to Norway um, a few years ago and we supported Premier out there when uh, they did the Europeans in Norway a good few years ago. Mm. But that's something that maybe in the future we'd like to look at. As well as hiring it all out, you've got a warehouse, you've got all these connections. When I've been to Contest, I've seen your trade stands as well. So you've actually got a, a retail element to the company. We have. That, that's been the, the latest development, if you like. Although it's been going for about um, four or five years, we've been building at the retail side. First of all, it started just with percussion. Uh, and in the last two years, it's... It's gone into all musical instruments, all uh, brass, woodwind, strings, um, pianos, you name it, any educational instrument, any uh, instrument basically. Um, and obviously the brass band supplier, we, we're now main agents for sort of Vincent Bach, Bess and Yamaha, all of the top. Yeah. Um, in fact, we've already supplied Allenford Band with a full set of instruments, full, basically a full set of bass and instruments uh, that happened back end of last year. So what goes around comes around. Oh, Mr. Rogers from Allenford, yeah. um, he never ceases to help me. So you did <laughs> nice preferential rates for that then? Um, well, yeah, we do, you know, yeah. got to look after the Rogers family. <laughs> yes, I'm actually uh, a customer of yours, at your trace stand. Hey. I have in my briefcase your medium-sized bright orange wood block. Oh, excellent. Which I use uh, when my conducting baton doesn't work uh, properly. I, get, I hold that in my hand and 
bang four shades of green out of it with a with a drum stick to show the band the rhythm. So uh, I'll have to just put so as supplied by events percussion. Yeah, I'm sure we can. Like even I've been advertising. I've been a customer of yours, yes. <laughs> Mainly out of frustration, you know, for this stick don't make any noise. See if this stick can make some noise. Yeah. There's so many different places that you appear. Some of them must be quite unusual, you know, except your normal sort of pop concert. Anything really stands out as my that was one weird gig. Yeah, we've we've done a few. Um, mainly, uh, I I think the ones to mention are the large ensemble gigs. Uh, where the first one I got involved with was many many years ago in uh, Symphony Hall in Birmingham, where we did the world's largest orchestra. That was quite eventful for many reasons. Uh, we we got three thousand people together there, uh, with Sir Simon Rattle conducting, and uh, and failed to make the world's largest orchestra because the piece we played was too short. Um, oh. Luckily, for Birmingham and uh, the world's largest orchestra, they thought, we'll have to have another go at this. So they procured the National Indoor Arena where we decided to do 5,000 instrumentalists with Simon Rattle again. Played a longer piece this time, so we got the world record for that. Oh. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. And then... Birmingham seems to figure very highly in this. We um, went to Birmingham City Football Ground, uh, I think it was 2012, and um, did a thing called Play, where we did another 5,000 instrumentalists, um, full orchestra, and played 5,000 of them in, in the stand at uh, Birmingham City Football Club on the same week as Music for Youth. That logistically is a bit of a nightmare, but it's good fun when it happens. I mean, 5,000, that, that's an awful lot. As you say, logistically, it's a nightmare, surely. <laughs> and uh, health and safety and, and all, the, all the rest of it. The yeah, we deal with that. We, you obviously you go to meetings. Luckily, for somewhere like Birmingham City Football Club, they're used to massive crowds, and mm. that's very mm. easy, and they work with us very well. Um, logistically, you know, the biggest problem you have is where to put your music. Mm. Because you can't have 5,000 music stands. Um, the one... It started off as a bit of a joke, really, where um, when we started in Symphony Hall, we had um, most people pinning the music to the people in front of them. <laughs> and, yeah. and so that has gone on through the three things, uh, bring a safety pin and bring your music and pin it to the person in front. And that has worked. I mean, we don't look at the health and safety point of it because I suppose, you know, you could actually pierce everybody in front yeah, of you. Yeah, no, a very big first aid box and lots of plasters in it. <laughs> we, we, we do take, we probably take about 200 stands, but um, most of it, the funniest part is pinning it to the person in front. Yeah. Wow. Well, one of the questions that I always ask the guests now is about disasters because we love to hear about things that have gone wrong. And, and I should imagine when you're making such a lot of noise and you're hitting so many different bits and pieces, then you must have some disaster, percussion disasters for us. Um, there are not many things, percussion-wise. Well, I've got a few I could tell you about, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> It always happens to somebody else. It never happens to me. Usually when I'm conducting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, there's uh, one sticks in my mind from years and years ago at the, at the Albert Hall. We were playing with the National Youth Brass Band of Wales. And um, uh, a very good friend of mine who was sitting in front of me playing B-flat bass, Peter Denton, who I spent some time in college with, we had a stand failure with the bass drum and it 
fell off its stand while playing the Albert Hall and basically hit Peter in, in the back. But <laughs> Peter being the, um, the great bandsman he is, sort of instantly realised what had happened, stuck his arm up, played with one hand on the tuba and held on to the bass drum with the other while we carried on playing, not having a way of actually getting it back up on the stage till the end of the piece. Thus, it, it was pretty seamless. Nobody really noticed apart from us, and mm. we did have a, a quite a laugh about that one. That was mm. good. We always see that um, symbols. I mean, symbol disasters oh, yeah. can happen, yeah. can't they? I've, 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 I've seen a couple of Facebook ones when they, you know they just completely fall off, don't they? I've, I've done one of those where I've um, a strap on a, a clash symbol has uh, has come has snapped, come loose, and done a particularly big clash and the whole thing one has come apart and just gone flying on the floor that that can be a little embarrassing on times mm. I can remember one with the Halley Orchestra in the, in the old Fushade Hall mm -hmm. stage right there were some concrete steps going down to the dressing dressing rooms and there's a marvellous symphony with off stage cowbells isn't there and they've got this very sort of pastoral scene with the cowbell ding along ding along ding along going off, off stage and unfortunately the string, they had bailing string apparently to make it authentic between the two stands holding these up. So it's really idyllic scene and then the, 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 the string broke or came off the stand. <laughs> so you have from this idyllic little cows in the field, there was a stampede. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing, it went all the way down the concrete step, which was very effective because they saw this stampede going off into the distance. <laughs> and the whole thing with the conductor with his mouth wide open thinking, what the heck happened then? You know? <laughs> So, uh, in, in 30, well, nearly 40 years in a profession, I've got loads of percussion disasters, but uh, you're the guest, not me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about when you're actually having disasters during the events that you've organised? Luckily, these days, the, the, there's a place for health and safety, I suppose, because it, it does stop any particular massive disasters happening because they, they close you down. There have been one or two funny things, again, though, that happened. Um, Two that spring to mind both happened uh, on Cardiff Big Weekend, which is uh, was held on the lawns of the uh, City Hall and attracts about 50,000 people throughout the weekend. Absolutely brilliant. But one of the first years I ever did it, around about 97 when I started, we had a particularly bad torrential downpour and uh, we had a, a, a dome stage. Uh, and one of the sheets on top of the dome stage, a big dome stage, was obviously not as tight as the others, so it started pooling water. And so we're sort of watching this uh, this pool ever increasing. We've got different bands on, and Paul Carrick, who's still touring, doing very very well, was was the sort of headlining act on there. Coming up the pool, still raining, massive puddle, and in the roof, nothing happening. But we're getting a bit worried, so we held the state, we held the show up. And we called the fire brigade. The fire brigade came along, uh, ably sort of watched by a few thousand people as they took their turntable up there, uh, sent one of the firemen into the roof to do it, who basically straight up was wasting water, not realising, thinking it was about welly height, <laughs> straight up was wasting water, uh, to put the, the pump in. And we, we waited for about 15 minutes while they pumped it all mm -hmm. out and then got on with the show. Um, Absolutely, as if nothing, nothing had happened, they sort of, down they went, off they went, and they went, show, absolutely fine. Mm. Could have been very, very nasty, you yeah. could have split, you know, we, we could have held the show up. Mm. And we had another one, which again was water, which I became one of the uh, 
members of a band called Alabama Three, who were, they did the theme tune for The Sopranos, which was here years ago, but they're a great live band. And torrential rain, we were losing loads of people. And the, the rain was literally horizontal into the front of the, front mm. of the stage. <laughs> so on we went with our squeegees, because you know, being the stage manager, you've got to make it happen, whatever. Thinking the band are not going to go on. They took one look at it, the crowd were out, they said, yeah, let's go for it. So we spent all night squeegeeing the stage, mopping the stage, while they went further and further back. Eventually, they started, they were performing about 12 foot into the stage, with the rain was just not getting, and I became, well, myself and two of the other guys became part of the performance, because they were sort of dancing, singing around us. <laughs> and, and we spent the whole time just mopping and squeegeeing, mm -hmm. and just so they could... Mm. And in their best southern accents, going to say, "Hey, boys, don't worry about us. We're all going to get fried." <laughs> you know, things like that. Just and to all yeah. the audience, and what you sort of, you know, and trying to dance with us while we were sort of squeegeeing. Yeah. I mean, you know, sort of stage managing these things where I know from experience, there's just masses of electricity around there. Yeah. You know, the the lighting, the sound. There's these junction boxes there, and you just think water and electric don't mix so, it must be such a nightmare yeah you've got you've got to be very very careful i mean luckily everything is protected mm. but you've got to do your utmost to make sure that you know there are no problems there because mm. you, you the worst generally will happen is everything will go dark and everything will go quiet mm. which if you if you so you've paid your money and you want to watch the band that's the last thing you want to happen so yeah. we, we at work at all costs make sure that doesn't happen so just between you and me, mm -hmm. is health and safety a good or a bad thing? Oh, it's a great thing. Oh, a, wish you yeah. could see his face. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just say there, there's a good reason for it. Or risk um, assessment, you know, because I know in the orchestra... Oh, that, that's my favourite thing. I mean, I in, in the old days, in the studio there, we'd have wires everywhere yeah. on the floor. We'd have all our cups of tea and coffee. Now, everything's got to be strapped down. I know for 25 years I've, I've stepped over that piece of wire and I've never fallen flat in my face. Suddenly you're not allowed to because it's got to be taped down. Uh, you've got to top some new water bottles and you think, oh. But you're a dying breed. You're a man with common sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there is a place, you know, we don't want any bare wires lying about. But I think a lot of health and safety can be um, replaced, especially in our industry, with common sense. And mm. if people have common sense, but that doesn't generally happen. Mm. Now, another question which I like to ask people is, uh, if we had a magic wand and we could just turn back time to uh, any event you like um, that you would love to relive again because of what it meant to you. Yeah, yeah there's one that sticks in my mind that just comes straight to the front now. Um, when I was 15, I uh, was playing the Cross Keys Band, the Cross Keys Junior Band, and uh, this is where my love of music for youth actually came from and a lot of people's love of music for youth comes from the first time they perform in, in something that music for youth does. Now we did a national festival in Fairfield Halls, Croydon, which was nice because I'd never really played in Fairfield Halls, a nice place to play in and that, that was quite memorable. But we were invited from there to play in the Albert Hall at the school's proms and it was 1981, that was my first ever school's proms in November and the feeling of walking into the Albert Hall for the first time being I'd never been there before mm. and the first time I'd gone into the Albert Hall I was going in as a performer to play uh, it was absolutely 
stunning and it still brings uh, me out in goose pimples now. I don't think anybody who's performed the Albert Hall will disagree with you because you know the first you've seen it on the telly and it looks yeah. quite big and but it's empty you know in the rehearsal and you walk down that little narrow ballroom from there and you walk there and all of a sudden it just thing just the building just explodes in front yeah. of you think how can a building as big as this as high as this even stay standing really because it just defies gravity the whole thing doesn't it yeah and yeah. Uh, I, I'll never forget the first time I walked on the stage there I don't think like that anybody else uh, so it's a very good memory that one yeah. it's very very good for me yeah I can even remember we played we played Men of Harlech and we played Ronda Rhapsody um, two completely contrasting pieces mm. um, but one thing it did make me think of uh, also another one years later I went back uh, I was invited by Music for Youth to stage manage the proms and it was a very similar feeling when I walked in there for the first time ever to go to a meeting to become the stage manager mm. for that. Mm. And it is a very special hall. So both, every time, both of my real top experiences have both been like Albert Hall every time. Mm. But the responsibility is you walked on there and I'm the stage manager and I'm looking after this building. And yeah, the whole that's thing. scary. The, <laughs> the power the man's got <laughs> taking over the world. I wish. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, talking about that, you know, We've, we started off with the Lending a Triangle, now we've got a huge warehouse uh, uh, in Newport, you've got large members of staff, you seem to be propping up all over the place, either running shows, um, helping to run brass band contests, renting out all the equipment. Are you satisfied or are there more plan plans in the pipeline to further expand your empire? There are always more plans in the pipeline, but um, as time and finances uh, uh, time of finances permitting uh, will be done. Basically, the next thing I think we're going to try and do is to start a teaching academy, whereby we uh, teach one to one in uh, in our premises or uh, premises close by, and um, and develop it that way. There's been a lot of problems with uh, funding for music services, and I, I work very closely with the music services, and I, I see it as a a possible link between the music services to use some of their staff um, and our staff because all of my staff are all musicians and most of them have gone to music college as well so with with other Perry teachers that are in the area um, there isn't any anybody in our area at the moment doing that mm. so, so is it an academy for percussionists specifically? Um, we already do some teaching percussion, but this this is a, a music academy where we we'll do brass, woodwind, percussion, mm. piano, voice. Right. That, but that it's early stages yet. But that's something something we are working on. Oh, it's always nice to have plans in, in the pipeline, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So, so in a sense, just broadening the company again. Yeah. Which presumably, you've got a you've got a nice fancy website then, so people don't look at it. They can see what, what, all the things you offer. Yeah, our website, um, events.co.uk. Uh, basically, it's it's a, a sales website. We've we've got a sort of a, a selling arm to that, but also you can click on it and just look at our higher services and our production services, and just tells you a little bit about the company as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, but I'm a, a firm believer. You know, if that if you want to have a look at that, please give us a ring as mm -hmm. well. You know, the, the number is on the website. If there's anything you want to chat about, you can always chat to myself or, or one of the guys, and we'll we'll tell you. And we very very rarely say no to anything, no matter how 
odd the request is now and again. Um, we like a challenge and, uh, and we like to have fun while we're doing it as well. Yeah. So there you are. You, you, as we've heard today, you'll always get a friendly voice on your lender of the, of the, of the, of the mind if you make inquiries. Uh, final question then. Let's go right back to the days when you were seven, you said? When you started. Well, I was seven, yeah. yeah. Now, if you were a mentor of that little seven-year-old Adrian, what advice would you give? With the benefit of hindsight, what advice would you give that young man before setting off on life? Very, very simple. Um, drink and party less. <laughs> practice more. <laughs> you almost sound like a brass player. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adrian, of Adrian Evans, of events. It's been a great pleasure to have a chat with you today. I've certainly learned a lot about you because I've always thought as Adrian the percussionist, you know, and Adrian with, with that big van with all the kit in. But I now realise that there's far more to you and your company than uh, ever I thought. So yeah. thanks so much for giving us all that enlightenment. That's Adrian Evans. Thank you very much.